0: chronic illness therapist podcast. This is meant to be a place where people with chronic illnesses can come to feel heard, seen, and safe while listening to mental health therapists and other medical professionals talk about the realities of treating difficult conditions. This might be a new concept for you, one in which you never have to worry about someone inferring that it's all in your head. We dive deep into the human side of treating complex medical conditions and help you find professionals that leave you feeling hopeful for the future. I hope you love what you learn here and please consider leaving a review or sharing this podcast with someone you love.
1: Samantha Hugan is a Latinx marriage and family therapist and bestselling author in the Metro Atlanta area. When not working with clients, she sparks discussion about mental health with the goal to spread awareness across the U S and beyond by challenging the popular discourse surrounding mental illness and making it more inclusive. Her books from the Starless series, Dawn Among the Stars, Fading Starlight, Stardust Emerging, and In the Wake of Stars are available now wherever books are sold. Her fifth book, Moonlit, will be available September 2022. Discover what it means to be human in this feminist science fiction series, where her debut novel was nominated for a 2019 Georgia Author of the Year Award in the first novel category. You can connect with her on Instagram or TikTok at the Sci-Fi Therapist. And at samanthahewigan.com. Hi, Samantha. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. You made me sound really cool with the bio. Thank you. Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I, I was realizing I didn't actually mention that you are also a sex therapist, and that is what you're here to talk about today sex therapy, chronic pain, chronic illness, and some of the different intersections around that. 100%. I'm really excited. Good. So maybe we can start with a little bit about. Um, what people come to you with when they're dealing with pain? What is kind of the first thing that that comes up for you when you think about that question?
2: Yeah, I think about the clients that come in and they're like, something's wrong with my sex life. They don't ever say it like that, but you know, they read, read between the lines and the more digging you get, you realize that they're either living with pain, whether that be a physical pain or there's something up with their relationship, their relationship with sex in general, their relationship to their body like something's off Uh, nobody usually comes in with direct like medical or kind of like the awareness of what that looks like so it's up to us as sex therapists to kind of peel back the layers and understand what that is and what that isn't and so a lot of people will say they're in pain but I don't I don't know what that means and it isn't until you know asking more questions, embracing the curiosity, and then most times referring them out to other specialists, right? Because as a therapist, I don't have the power to prescribe medication. I wish I could run tests. That would be so helpful. I wish I could figure out what was going on the behind the scenes like that, but we don't have that power here in the state of Georgia. I don't believe any therapists ever anywhere has that power, unfortunately. So then you have to refer out and kind of create this like team mentality to figure out exactly what the pain is, where is it coming from? And then I like to add, because we always think pain of physical, is a physical thing and it is, but also I call it like the ghost pain, right? So just because you have a medication and it's helped the pain, or you try something different and it's helped the pain, or you find out what the underlying thing was, doesn't mean that that pain has just magically disappeared mentally we hold that, you know, that, that information. And so sometimes the brain takes it and goes, well, I'm feeling good right now, but it might come back. So that's kind of what I do. That's how I visualize the whole thing.
1: Yeah. That's a perfect um, answer to kind of what our role is then in the therapy room and it's managing the fear around pain. Yes. What do you do for people who are currently in pain still so they either have been working with specialists or they haven't yet worked with one and they're not they're still dealing with this pain on a daily basis but they're in a relationship sex is really important to them and they mm-hmm. can't engage in the way that they want to what are some of the things that you start to navigate with those clients one of my favorite
2: things that came from my t- my time teaching at Kennesaw State University was defining what actual sex is so when you say it when I- I say it, you and I are thinking about two different things. I want to say nine times out of 10, most people are thinking of just penetration. Oh, sex is just some type of penetration. And I'm like, that's well and good. But like, if you're in pain or it doesn't feel like your body is able to go to that space, then that just kind of ruins, if you will, air quotes, ruins the time that you want to have in this, the sexual entity, the space, this vibe, whatever you want to define it. So when I define it with clients, we get really specific. I don't believe that sex is just the physicality. It could be the emotional. So then we need to figure out what sex represents. Is it a connection with your partner or partners? Is it something else? Is it a release? What is it? So if you're coming to me and there there's pain associated with any kind of um, intercourse, then I want to know what else is sex to you? Is it hand holding? Is there different levels? Is there's kissing? Is cuddling part of that? Is heavy petting part of that? I mean, I can go on and on. The list is endless because everybody's definition of sex is different. I always like to say it's like your definition, your partner's definition or partner's definitions, and then the couple's definition. So we need to all get on the same page. So if you go to your partner and you're like, I really want to be sexual, but I'm in pain or something doesn't feel right, then it's up to you and that person or person's to then get creative and figure out, okay, well then what are you comfortable with? What does work for what your body is like giving out right now? And I love that because it gets, it just demystifies one, what sex is, but then also puts everybody on an even playing field. So it's not just, oh, I, I want sex and everybody's like coming up with their own image and their own scenario about what that looks like. It's literally already defined. There's already some knowledge there. And you can use the toolbox metaphor that metaphor that I like to use with my clients, which is that you put stuff in there. So one day you might be like, cuddling is enough. And so you pull cuddling out of that. But then another day might be like, well, I would like cuddling and kissing and heavy petting and outer course, and that's enough. And then of course you can always add um, penetration, but I like to use the other stuff first. Cause everybody always thinks about that. And they're always like, that's the only way to have sex. And it's like, no, it's not. No, it's not y'all. The why, do you the think, limit.
1: why do you think that is, why do you think that that is the only thing that people, um, associate sex with? Oh my gosh, girl, you live in
2: the same world that I do. <laughs> like, it's just, that's it. That's the message. That's the message that we get in media. That's the message that we get in books. That's the message that we get, um, in pornography and any kind of that scape like that's it like you are there to have an orgasm you're there to hit climax whatever that looks like whatever that feels like and then you're done that's it That's so sad because it's more than one thing but we don't we don't live in that world and i wish gosh with my whole heart i wish that comprehensive sex ed was widely used and spread because age appropriately we would learn that it's not just about that it can be so many different things to different people but we have to have the tools to communicate that and the understanding of what our bodies are doing and not doing to get to that place I just went off on my little (laughs) little pedestal I'm so passionate about it I wish we had that but
1: we don't yes I couldn't agree more our sex ed is um atrocious at best so Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is there, uh, especially given the current state of of our climate right now and the um, anti-abortion laws that are coming out. I mean, this is where we're at right now, and so uh, if that's where we're at, I can't even imagine then talking about. I can't even imagine our country being more on board with talking about comprehensive sex education. So, which is so ironic and and terrible. Um. Yeah, there's so much fear
2: associated with it, and honestly, there's nothing. To fear with that with comprehensive sex it's age, it's age appropriate and I can't stress that enough right so you're not going to be telling a five-year-old about pornography instead you would be telling them about the different types of families and good touch and bad touch and that they have the consent and and all of that
1: such important messages for a five-year-old yes. to know right
2: yes 100 percent. and you'd be giving them words about body parts so let's say god forbid something happened to them they would be able to communicate effectively to their caregiver, like if something happened, or if something made them uncomfortable, or if they had a question. Instead of shrouding everything in mystery and secrecy, it would be out on the table, it would be clear as day, and people would feel more supported. And I think that's why we have so many issues with sex and sexuality these days is because it is, you know, this like hidden thing that we can't talk about. And then we bring pain into it. Then it just adds more stigma, right? Because it's like, well, I'm supposed to be the sexual person, and the sexual person is just supposed to show up pain free, and the body is supposed to work as it's supposed to work. And it's like, oh, nobody, come on, we're not, we're not robots, we're not perfect. Every sexual activity, and, um, I was about to say adventure. It could be adventure, I guess. We'll go with that. Is different because your body changes a, a daily, and your partner's body change daily, and and all of that. But you know, <laughs> we don't live in that world,
1: but. No, that's such a good point about like your body changing daily. That I think is really important, especially when you live with chronic pain, because so everybody's body changes daily. Uh, Mm -hmm. We all feel good. Some days don't feel good other days. And you're right. We have this expectation that we're supposed to feel exactly the same way. We're supposed to just be able to show up, do the thing, no matter really, no matter how we feel, right. That's kind of the message we have with, with everything in life. Like you go to work, no matter how you feel, you have sex, no matter how you feel. Like, and so there's so much here because what we were just talking about with comprehensive sex education early on, like kindergarten years, uh, it sets the tone and sets the foundation for such good, healthy communication. And if you don't have that, how are you going to work through problems? Like if right. you can't even do that for like n- normal, for lack of a better word, normal, no issues, like you're just like no chronic pain, no, whatever. Yeah, what do you want it, for dinner? That's, yeah. you know that- Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'll be able to communicate
2: that I want, you know, pasta for dinner. Like, yeah. I and see, even that's hard, right? Like that's even harder. I, I see it. a lot of couples lately and I don't know if it's because of the pandemic, stay tuned. There'll be another <laughs> an, another time discussion when there's more information. But lately I've been meeting, meeting with a lot of uh, couples that like are blowing my mind, girl. Because I'm I'm there being like, yes, how can I help you? And they're like, have never had any deep discussion about things like children, finances, um, how they're going to set up their relationship, what are their goals in life? And I'm like, y'all have been together for a minute. And this is not just one case. This this has been over the last, I want to say, definitely six months, maybe a year, I've been working with people in this space, in this couple's realm, that it's like, wait, if you're not even talking about these quote basics, how are you going to talk about something that's got some shame? Some listen to me, a lot of shame surrounding it. And it just blows my mind. So we are not doing ourselves any favors. unfortunately.
1: Well, I think one of the things that comes to mind when you talk about that is we never used to have to have these conversations because everybody, everything was there. Like the normative, So if you think back to two, 300 years ago, Mm. communities where people lived, you know, in just their community and, and didn't really travel outside of that, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: you didn't need to have these conversations because everybody knew what was expected and everyone fell in line. And maybe there were a couple Mm -hmm. outcasts in that community who went against the grain and they were outcasted. And other than that, if you stayed in your community, you knew exactly what was expected of you. Mm Come in globalization, which has, it's, prose in so many ways also brings in like just an overwhelming amount of different cultures and a different, um, nonverbal languages as well as verbal languages and so much difference that we, our brains just don't know how to wrap our heads around it. And so this should come with learning how to communicate. If I don't, if I'm not going to automatically know, about you, because you're not in my community and we didn't grow up together and all that, then I should at least have the communication skills to be able to ask you questions, listen reflectively and have these conversations, but we aren't taught how to do that. Right. So we have evolved past these kind of like small communities where we didn't have to ask these questions and we're not learning how to ask them.
2: Well, the idea of control pops up for me, where it's like what you were describing, it sounds like, you know, people were in line because What else were they gonna do? Like there was this control aspect. And now we're out here, we have access to so much, but use so little. (laughs) It's wild. And it's and it's about like you want to be able to follow your community, cultural, societal, whatever, but people are smarter now. Kind of (laughs) asterisk with that. People have more access to different ways of being. And I also think about like how we're teaching young people, not just about sex, but but how to be in this world. And it's all about can, I'm gonna call it the state, but I don't necessarily mean like state states, but like how do we control people, you know, to do be the workers that we want them to be? Because humans are messy and humans are not always the nicest in the world, but like, why is it now a problem? Well, because we're not embracing vulnerability. We're not being taught that it's okay to tell someone, you know, it was great meeting you. It's just not working. And we don't know what to do with the rejection. We don't know what to do with the emotions that come up on both sides. Because it's both. It's hard for both individuals, whoever's in the system to say like, this isn't working. But we don't have these like fail safe ability, these communal abilities to to, one, go to our people and be like, oh, this sucks. I got broken up with. Um, And then even internally be able to navigate all the complexities of that. So
1: yeah, I think we don't have um the communication tools. And then oftentimes we just don't know what we want either. So we kind of spend some time like, okay, I need some time to process and to think. But then there's also so much in this world that takes our attention away. And so while I think sometimes ghosting is extremely intentional, I think there are other times where like you kind of like put the response in the back burner and then it just keeps going and going and going. (laughs) And before you know it, like it's been too long. So we need to take accountability for that. But I think that, um, we just don't know enough about our own needs and wants in order to actually say, this is what I like, this is what I need. And again, chronic pain and chronic illness, it's even harder because even if you've had it your whole life, so you have a whole lot of experience with it, you probably don't have a whole lot of like role models around you who are teaching you how to speak about that in that, like that particular illness or yeah I think about the cultural aspects of that like you just grin and bear it
2: don't say anything don't don't talk about your problems or you know um I think about my community and it's just like what the facade like you need to like look and be a certain way um so everything's kind of again shrouded in this darkness even though you're like I don't know how to navigate any of this and it's like no 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 we're not going to talk about that like no 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 just keep keep a good smile on and keep going and you'll be okay. And it does make things harder, right? Because life is already hard. But then you add this chronic illness, chronic pain. And it's like, oh, now I'm supposed to be able to one navigate life in general. But then I got this added situation that no one is allowing me to talk about because quote, it makes them uncomfortable. Or, you know, we just don't talk like that. It's it's super wild. It's 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 hard, it's frustrating. I'm gonna be pro therapy for a hot minute. And if y'all are listening, I hope you have been pro therapy this whole time because, like, therapy is a space for you to navigate that safely without feeling whatever cultural um, elements might be holding you back or misinformation or fear or anything. Like, therapy is that place to just be like, look, I'm dealing with this support me through it. Let's walk together on this journey and figure it out together because you know, I need help.
1: Yeah. And culture, culture has so many different components, right? It could be your ethnicity, but it could also be just the mere fact that you have a chronic illness and the particular disease that you're dealing with. Um, there's a cultural component in that way too. So how important do you think it is for the therapist to have some some real lived experience with the culture that, the, the cultural aspects that a client is bringing into session?
2: Well, I'm super biased um, because of my uh, multicultural background, but then also because of the clients that I do work with, I'm very honored to be working with multicultural clients as well, predominantly in the Latinx community, but I've worked with people from all over the world, um, different religions, um, so for me, the heartbreaking part of my job as a professional is hearing that they've gone, clients have gone to other clinicians and, you know, they didn't know, like they they didn't have the cul- uh, cultural competency to actually support the client or they, this is a new one, they use that client as an experiment. And I was like, oh barf like that is just nope that's not what we do therapists are required to do ceu training which is continuing education training um you know consult if you need support or refer out if it's just not your jam like i don't know if i could work with um like evangelical christians at this point uh because i don't i don't have that competency i wouldn't know where they're coming from i wouldn't understand So I would refer out because that's appropriate. I don't think clinicians should be taking on clients just because they can or they need to eat. That's a whole nother problem, y'all. Let me just say that. That's a whole nother thing. That's another talk for another time. I mean, that's what Um, we're taught,
1: right? Like we we're taught like you go into- you take on whoever comes to you and and you kind of are a martyr in that way. And so there are a lot of therapists right now who I think still feel really icky about like specialization, but my experience has always been that the more specialized I am, the more I can help that particular person. I can take CEUs and I can at least not do harm and not just like be asking them all the questions. And you just Mm -hmm. explain to me so I can understand. That's not what therapy is about. It's it's different saying like, I want to know you,
2: the person, the client, The clients. I believe that a clinician should be well versed, and we kind of had this conversation before we started recording. Where someone recently came to me and was like, "Hey, um, I want to do anger management," and I was like, "Well, person, I have done that, but it's not my specialty. It's I specialize in sex therapy. I specialize in healthy relationships. I help. I specialize in um, exploration of kink and entity and all of that. So." When they said that, I had to be very honest. And I'm glad that they went in a different direction because though I could have done it, it would have probably been painful for both of us. Um, because it would have been, I needed to go do some research. And I mean, that sounds like I'm lazy and I don't want to. <laughs> no, no. No. Guys. no, but, but
1: is would, this is this what yeah. you were speaking to when you said like some therapist experiment with their clients? Yes. Okay. Yes.
2: Yeah. I would have had to like piecemeal, a treatment plan you know, rely heavily on my consultation groups and like the other clinicians that I have um, in my life, I would have to go back to the research and like, you know, read books and like, it would basically be like, go to mini school (laughs) for something that like somebody who organically does that, who already has that knowledge base could go and work with them. And I think like bringing it back to chronic illness and pain, we were talking to like, how does it relate to sex therapy? And it really does because a lot of, the like, maybe I want to say close to 50% of what I do with clients is because there's some pain. There's some quote dysfunction. I don't like that word, but that's what we're going with. Quote dysfunction um, that we have to bring in other professionals like urologists, like dermatologists, like gynecologists um, to help, you know, sort out the physicality to it. And then us as therapists, you know, go and, you know, support the mental aspect of whatever's going on.
1: Yeah. I think that, um, not everybody has to have like some, some ultra specific specialized niche. Um, but if you're going to work with a population that requires that, then you do have to have that. Yeah. And you also asked the question of like, does the client or excuse me, the um, I keep, clinician
2: and therapist y'all basically the same thing. Clinician is like, you do clinical work, meaning you see the clients, Um, which is what I do. And I think that's what you do as well. And so, um, you asked if there needed to be any like personalized experience, you know, in school, they say that it helps. So you have that like empathy and like just ground level understanding, but kind of, I feel like it doesn't matter (laughs) Oh, and hear me out, hear me out. I'm gonna walk this fine line because if you're doing your job as a clinician and therapist, then like, you don't have to have that exact experience to have empathy and compassion and to guide a client through healing you can like i mean it kind of helps like it kind of is nice but also i kind of feel like well you got to be very careful then you know because if if you have the experience you don't want to put your shit on the client's shit and so
1: I know what you mean yeah you don't want
2: to put it's, your
1: biases or your experience. your experience and think that they're going through that same exactly. exact in the same way so there's pros and cons for yeah, sure so I
2: almost think it's a little harder but like some people can navigate it flawlessly I think that some people that's, can't
1: yeah I think that's the thing like if you're going to specialize in something that you have lived experience in you have to have you still have to have that consultation. You still have to have your own therapy. It I, is, I, you know what I always say, I'm
2: going to interrupt you. I'm so sorry. I always for say never see a therapist that doesn't see a therapist. <laughs> yes.
1: Yes. I mean, you have to be able to sit on the other end of the couch and know what that process feels like. And I think what's more important is not so much if a client, if a therapist has a lived experience, but how comfortable they are with the topic. I think it's the discomfort. For me I think the lived experience is what helps me then be more comfortable in the situation but like we just said lived experience can also make you more uncomfortable in certain ways so yeah it's it's about knowing yourself like you have to be hyper aware of your own internal thoughts and motivations and automatic behaviors and things of that nature yes. yeah. but it's about your comfort if because I think a lot of therapists are really scared of touching chronic illness because it's body-based and it's like, well, mm. that's outside my scope of practice. And, um, it's, it's, and it's not so though.
2: interesting you say that because as a sex therapist, I was actually just having this conversation with my sex therapy consult group. Um, and I have always thought that sex therapists should be like doctors, like medical doctors. <laughs> and you know what is, if, if they haven't changed the law or they're like therapists either take these courses and, and sit for this exam, I'll be the first in line to try to get my MD that way, you know, because we are already kind of specialized to use the quote medical model. Right. I need to know things about the body. I need to know about reproduction. I need to know about that stuff in order to help my client. Um, and, and some other clinicians in other areas probably do something similar, but I've always thought that sex therapy was one of those areas that needed to work hand in hand with the um, medical community. And so why not give them specialized training? like Um, And so my, my counsel group actually brought it up and said the same thing. And I was like, oh my God, I'm not alone. Um, So there are some clinicians that do fear that because they don't feel like that is their lane or their um, like, she's like you said, the scope of practice. But I think for sex therapy and pain management in any way, you kind of have to use the medical model not in the disconnect from client kind of way when we think, when we say that, that's what some people think, but in the way that like, I have this particular set of skills and knowledge to help the people out. Yeah. I have to know that in order to help you.
1: It's why having an interdisciplinary team is so important. Although also, I mean, it can be highly inaccessible to have multiple specialists. Um, It can get quite expensive for sure. hundred percent. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard dealing with so many different intersections. But I think that's why it's important to have these conversations and um, to have people willing to just learn. Like, we just have to be willing to learn. I think that's something I think in a world of specialists, I think that that is also an issue It's like we all feel like we have to know like everything about this particular niche or this particular thing. Well, I mean,
2: that's what school does for you, right? It kind of already sets, I don't know where you went. I went to uh, Mercy University School of Medicine and I feel like they definitely pushed for specialty, but it was like specialty light, you know? they were like, you should probably have one. But for the most part, it was like, and I'm glad because I think everybody, every new clinician should have the foundation. But in school, you get kind of like taught that you should know it all. But now that I've been in private practice and out in these streets for almost a decade, that sounds like so long. Um, I feel like, no, I don't know if I could do it all at this point. Like, I just want to do what I know how to do because I've, I've spent so much time doing it.
1: <laughs> Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And I think the biggest thing, it's like, we're not taught even as therapists. I mean, we are taught how to ask open-ended questions and things mm-hmm. of that nature, but the med- uh, medical professionals, are highly. We're all high, even everyone, everyone in this country. Like, we just feel like we have to know this thing, and it stops us from asking questions. When really, if mm-hmm. you want to become an expert, all you should be doing is asking questions. You know what's so funny? I went to a conference
2: once. What was it? I think it was AMFT, American Association of Marriage and Family Therapists conference here in Atlanta. And I remember uh, going to like um, what do I want to call it? A it wasn't a panel. It was like somebody's presentation. And the gentleman was like, who was also a therapist. He was like, all we do is ask questions. And I was like, what? No, I don't ask questions the whole time. That's silly. That's, that's, what is he talking about? And it stuck with me until the following week. I started doing therapy back up. I went to work, obviously. And I, it must've taken like less than a half a day. And I was like, oh my God, that guy was right. All I do is live my life asking questions. And from that realization, flash forward to today, I just, even when somebody asks me if I want fries, do you want fries with that? I'm like, well, I'm not sure. What are the fries? You know, what kind of fries? You know, like I just find myself, <laughs> it's a poor example, but I find myself just like regurgitating more questions. Like, one, it's part of our training. Yeah. That's what they're supposed to do. We, we, we want to answer you, but like, we really can't because it's your life. But then all we, we do this work for long long enough and like, you find yourself going, oh my God, all I'm doing is asking questions, but you <laughs> yeah, should, it's a yes. beautiful trait. It's a good gift to give yourself and others, like learn to ask more questions. It's
1: okay. Yeah. The asking questions piece is so important. I mean, we were talking earlier about um, just like knowing yourself and yeah. being able to then communicate that to your partner. And I think even within that, you can ask open-ended questions in order to further figure out what is right for the both of you. I mean, you had mentioned earlier, it's like, there's what's right for you. There's what's right for the partner or partners. And then there's what's right for the couple as, as one unit. And that takes time to figure out, like, I think you had mentioned, you know, people being together and still not even like broaching these topics. And we kind of talked about a little bit about why that might be, but again in the past you know in these in these communities people would have they had their whole life to like learn what is what is expected or what they wanted or what they didn't want I don't even know
2: if we can like understand what it would be like to not have access to the internet or books you know because so many people back then were illiterate they didn't have access and now that we do I I think we have some kind of choice I'm put asterisk on that um y'all I'm very like um what do I want to say like rebellious okay so that's why i'm putting an asterisk on it because i know there's like positionality and intersectionality we to be aware of but back in the day when you just lived in these small communities like you're saying and you didn't have access you didn't cultivate critical thinking well you did in like your own way a way that we probably could not comprehend in 2022 but like you know we all have our own different views and i think it's hard to kind of comprehend that back in the day we didn't have access. Therefore, our thoughts were, I don't want to say smaller, because that's disrespectful, but like that kind of idea that they just kind of stayed in a general vicinity. You didn't have access to like wider pastures, if you will. That makes I hope that helpful. Yeah, I no, I mean, disrespectful.
1: No, I think that there's like everything. There's a balance. And I think at one point the balance swung way too far on one end where there was like no diversity, no ability mm-hmm. to go outside the box. And then as globalization started creeping in, I think there was more opportunity to travel and people would come back feeling, you know, having so much being so much better for that experience. And um, but I do say we've swung all the way to the other side and you have to be really careful. This is why we talk so much about like things like social media detoxes and stuff like that, because it is it is toxic to hear a hundred, you can literally scroll TikTok and hear a hundred different people talking in an hour hundred yeah. different opinions
2: well unless your algorithm's fucked up then they're the same, <laughs> then it's the same. that's right that's right I <laughs> miss the days of dogs and funny videos and dances, <laughs> Now I'm just getting like more political stuff I, I like it but at the same time I have to be wary myself where it's just like you know it's supercharged it's supercharged yes. in one situation yeah. or you know, God forbid you get on what they call the wrong side of TikTok, you know, know. as you will. And they're like, I'm on the wrong side of TikTok, help me. And you're like, that sounds scary. I don't want to go there either. I mean, I
1: help you, but like, that sounds so scary. I don't want to be on the wrong side of TikTok. That's so funny. Yeah, no, for sure. Like the algorithm can keep you in your own small bubble. That is also, that is also a thing. Um, But yeah. Oh,
2: I, you know what? That I just thought about something that's on topic, but a little off topic, but I swear to God, I'm gonna make it sen- make sense in a minute. You know, we were, we're still talking about pain. And so, um, full disclosure, you guys, I not only work with it, but I have, uh, what's called interstitial cystitis, which is like bladder pain syndrome. So it's like having a UTI all the time. Thank the Lord above that. Um, I have managed it and figured it out and I'm so grateful, but man, it sucks, especially when there's flare-ups. Ooh, Lord, it sucks. Anyway, So when I first got diagnosed, I was in Tampa, Florida, and then I moved to Atlanta like a hot second later and met my urologist. She kicked me out y'all. Like she was like, you're doing so good when we worked together for five years, you got to go be free, run off until the sunset. I'm like, okay, but I'm gonna call you if I got a problem. She's like, yes, please call me anyway. But when she first came on the scene, bless her, she was like, I need to tell you something. So that sounds so dramatic when I say it like that, but she was like, I need to tell you something. And I was like, what, what, you, what? You know, I'm like sitting there, my, my head is spinning already. And I'm like, okay, I gotta learn how to eat again. And like what triggers me and like, will this medicine work? Will this situation work? Da, da, da. She's like, whatever you do, don't go online. <laughs> and I was like, what? And she's like, do not go to the community boards. Do not go find your people on the line because." it's terrifying out there. And I was like, whoa, I'd never had a doctor talk to me like that. I'd never had that kind of insight. I didn't, you know, me, (laughs) I had to go look, (laughs) I had to, I was like, why? But I knew, I knew, I knew it was going to be ugly, but I was like, I still want to know. It's like, you know, you don't want to be alone on this chronic illness journey. You do want to find your people. You do want to find others like you and listen to like the, the good stories and bad and all of that. But holy shit, she was correct. It was so sad there. It was so scary. And you just want to cry. You just want to go find that person saying all the things and just give them a hug. But I I bring that up because as much as we are like, yay, TikTok and dances and dog videos and yay community, it can get dark real fast. And then, then, then where are you, you know? I I don't have anything at the end of this story besides: be careful, use your best judgment, know your boundaries, and you know, just be wary that like. And I'm I'm blanket statement stating this, so Destiny, please let me know if if you feel the same. That like, humans don't go online all the time to be like, gosh, life is sunshine rainbows. Oh, look at this! Look at this picture of this cake. You know. We do that on occasion, but a lot of times, especially today, I think, I don't, I'm not, that's not my area of research or expertise, but it feels like a little bit more heavy where people go to talk about the bad in life or talk about their big emotions like that. So you want to be careful how much of that you're consuming, because God forbid it impact how you see yourself and your situation and what's going on with you. Um, I've heard some really good things about people like me with interstitial societies and I've heard some really God awful things, right? Um, That's life. But if you get stuck in one way or another, ooh, I just, I'm just sending you the best. We don't, we wanna manage that. We wanna use our boundaries and we wanna use our our best judgment when it comes to
1: interacting online in those types of spaces. I think the um, idea of using your boundaries is a perfect piece of advice because it can get really scary really fast. And I think there are also a ton of really healthy positive accounts, but um, I think people also even get sucked into like the, I cured my illness with this supplement herb, diet thing. Yes. And so even the positive ones can also make you feel really shitty inside if that doesn't work for you too. And, it's, and not that I have like a major following online, I'm not saying
2: that in one way or another, but like, that's why I don't personally talk about my journey. I say that I have it. Well, I haven't really openly talked about it in a hot minute and I'm going to have to reflect on why. But there, I know there's definitely a blog post on my website, smithahewitin.com in the show notes. And I know that I have talked about it and like, you know, stories and like very short, uh, what do I say? Like things that don't last forever. But I know there's definitely a blog post or two about chronic, my chronic illness. But other than that, I will not say what I'll tell you the doctor that I went to um, her name is Dr. Janelle foot. She's amazing. She's in midtown, midtown Atlanta. Love her, love her team. Amazing. But I will not say what worked for me or not, because I feel very fortunate and lucky that I've managed it, but I've managed it the Samantha Hewigan way. Not everybody should do what I do because yep. I know not everybody has my body. Don't be stupid.
1: And I kind of want to swing that concept back into sex and sex therapy. And like at the beginning, we we talked about defining sex. And I will say, I I do know that there are going to be some people who hear that and think, I don't want to hear that. I just want to know how to have penetration without pain. Oh yeah.
2: (laughs) We just, I just, well, I don't want to do the homework. I want to skip a few steps. Like, come on, girl, where's your magic wand? I'm like, Oh Lord. Yeah.
1: I think it's just because it's so ingrained in us that like, that is, And if I, if I might get a little bit, uh, I don't even know the word here, but especially in heterosexual relationships, like I just need to please my man. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Right. Mm -hmm. And so like, that's, I don't know. Is that something that comes up for you, uh, in your work with clients?
2: Oh yeah. All the time. I was just thinking about a case when you were saying that, where it's just like, they want to fast forward the work to get to the reward. And I'm like, that got nothing for you.
1: Then I, I think, like I, I like how you, I like how you're, you're calling it like work and reward. Well, I like yeah. it and I don't like it because I think, I think the work, like the work actually makes maybe, especially with chronic pain and chronic illness, it's yeah. like, uh, it makes me a little bit like weary of like delving into that, but mm-hmm. like everything in life, like there is a process that happens yes. before you get to this end result. And yes. truly the, if literally with every single thing, the what my goal for my clients almost always is, is how do we help you enjoy the process? The outcome mm-hmm. is just like um a little gold star that like happens, you know? And so ejaculation is just the little gold star that happens at the end. Like, how can we enjoy it? And it doesn't even have process? to happen, right? Like, right. yeah, so
2: yeah. Yeah, thank right. you that's for
1: clarifying that. Poor, that's important.
2: Core language on my part, a thousand apologies. But that's the, so to answer your question, that's the vibe. However you want to say it is that's the vibe where it's like, I want to pass through and just get to where I think I need to go. And I'm like you, where I'm like, but like, what if that's not even where you need to go? Or or like you get there and you're like, uh oh, there's still more to do or, you know, whatever that looks like, let us work together to find things that we can do depending on where you're at, whether that be emotionally, mentally, or physically, like let's create this toolbox together so you can go out and like see what works and what doesn't work. Cause like another thing I should have said at the beginning that I failed to mention because I felt so safe here was that so many people think a sex therapist is a sex worker. We love a sex worker, bless them. That's not it. We are literally doing therapy but with a focus on sex and sexuality. So I don't want to see my clients do anything. Um, it'll be very inappropriate and unethical. Um, I don't want, they don't need to send me the porn links. Oh, look at this. No, mm-mm. I find myself saying all the time. I got a great imagination. She wrote some books. <laughs> she She's proven it. Like she's got a great imagination. I don't need to see anything. I want my clients to go and experience it and enjoy themselves. Um, but I don't need to physically see anything. I need, sometimes I will need more details. Like if they're like, this didn't work. I don't want to get too vulgar, but you know, this didn't work okay walk me through how you did it right walk me through what what do you mean it didn't work i once worked way back in the day i worked with a gal that said um i have pain here and she literally this was like og practicum time um she put her hand over her For those who don't
1: know that's internship
2: (laughs) oh yeah internship yep Mm -hmm. clinic um she put her hand over her pelvic area well, y'all, have you ever seen a female looking body? Uh, there's a lot going on there. So I was like, I don't know. So we had to ask questions. So I just want to clarify that like, you know, when I give homework to clients or, you know, we gather stuff to put in their figurative toolbox, it's for them to do the work outside. And I saw this really nice thing on TikTok of all places that people were like, this, this was another clinician out in the wild that was like, therapy is once a week, usually for 50 minutes. The real work is what you do outside of that 50 minutes. And that's my my point here. It's like, I'm here with you as the guide on the side, coming up with ideas, seeing if they fit, seeing if they don't fit. What did you come up with? And like seeing what works and what doesn't and what we can do better or do, you know, change. Anyway, I just had to say that. Like, I don't want to see nothing. Yeah. So ethical sex therapist is going to do that. There are things called sex surrogates. Oh, that's enough. Let's bring that up. So if you, um, have pain illness, there are people now, I don't believe there are any currently, unfortunately in Georgia. If there are, let me know. Um, there was one, but I do not think she's working anymore. A sex surrogate can come in and help you. Um, there will be sexual activity depending on what's going on. But there are individuals out there. I don't want to call them sex coaches because sex coaches are not. Um, how do I want to say that? They're, they're not. Some of them have training, many do not. You know, they come from that camp. If I had sex one time, therefore I can tell all the people how to have sex. Oh, golly, <laughs> it's very scary, but there are surrogates and, and professionals that can help you hands-on that is not a sex therapist. We do talk therapy. Good
1: distinction. Yeah, I think that's important. Is there anything else that you feel is important for people to know? I think the biggest thing I got from today's episode is continuing to make sure people always come back to the basics and the foundations, which is communication and know that if that's hard for you, that's okay. And that's normal. And that's what we're here to to help with. Um, Is there anything else that you think is really important, especially around the chronic pain piece?
2: There's so many, and like, and I know, like you said earlier, like there's so many avenues of helping professionals in this space. It's really about finding those that you feel comfortable with and those that have your, your um, niche 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 needs um that's really a paramount because if you come to a sex therapist it's almost like I kind of consider it like the hub like we're the people that are like okay let's go find you a physical therapist let's go find you a sex surrogate let's go find you a doctor what kind of doctor we need a urologist nope we need a gynecologist you know we you know we can be the hub but there are other professionals if therapy seems like too much, or it's not the right time, or probably possibly not even the right issue. There are other trained professionals that do want to help you. I know the medical community is messy these days. I know that we all get a bad rap. We are doing the best we can. The system sucks. Let's we'll just call it what it is: the system sucks. But there are people, and I always say that if you have any questions, concerns, or whatever, I'm always here to take uh, those those and help you find a professional in your area. Now, I'm not going to say that's to all medical situations, but I could definitely help you find a therapist in your area, especially a sex therapist in your area. So never, ever hesitate to reach out and you can find me all over the internet at the sci-fi therapist. So
1: don't I be love afraid. that. So helpful. Thank you so much, Samantha. And I'll put all of that information in the show notes and um, people can reach out in that way.
0: Thanks. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. If you learned something new today, consider writing it down in your phone notes or journal and make that new neural pathway light up. Better yet, I'd love to hear from you. Send me a DM on Instagram, email me, or leave a voice memo for us to play on the next show. The way you summarize your takeaways can be the perfect little soundbite that someone else might need in order to better absorb the same lesson. Lastly, leaving a review really helps others find this podcast, so please do so if you found this episode helpful.